All right, thanks so much, Tim and Mac and David. David, our drummer, um, he and his wife, Celia, are supposed to have a baby like tomorrow, I think. So it's amazing that you're up here. Thank you for being here. Uh, we'll be praying for you guys. And uh, if anyone wants to provide meals for them, I think there's a link floating around somewhere. So, uh, but we're excited for you. I would like to call to the stage real quick, Julie Scott. Before we get started here on sermon, I uh, want everyone to... To, it, you, maybe you know Julie, maybe you don't. Let everyone to, to meet Julie, put a face to name. Julie uh, is the church bookkeeper. And, uh, and she has been, um, uh, even beyond that, the office administrator over this last year. So in the craziness of this pandemic, Julie has held down the fort and kept this place running. Um, and uh, we are so grateful for Julie as we've been able to merge these churches together, Julie's like, I want a break from all the office admin stuff. And so we're, we've been moving Julie out of admin. She's still going to be the bookkeeper. Um, but I just wanted to say, Julie, we are so grateful for you because of your faithfulness in this really hard year. Um, this church is in a place where it can flourish and thrive. And I have no idea where we'd be without you. So I wanted to say thank you. If we give her a round of applause. Yeah. All right. We have a gift for you. Uh, Brie, do you want to say anything, Brie? Yes, I would. Julie and I have gotten very close. She started as our admin, I think, December 2019. So great time to start as the admin. Um, but Julie and I have gotten and grown really close just when it was sometimes just the two of us in office and wondering what the heck God was up to. And Julie kept me sane and kept a lot of us sane. And she is a saint. So if you haven't gotten to know her and her heart, you must, because she is just a woman of the Lord and who pursues God wholeheartedly, and we are so thankful for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So, this, yeah, thank you so much, Julie. A couple housekeeping keeping items. I uh, wanted to give an update on the campus projects. As you can see, like, this whole campus is under construction. We've had people say, like, oh, is that the paint job that you guys went with? We're like, no, that's the stucco repair. There's still more coming. Um, we have a couple dates. Uh, we are putting in a new playground over here, and construction on that's going to start in July. New playground we put in, hopefully completed uh, by the end of August. And so our thought was like, and it's going to be hot in the summertime anyway, children's ministry. So the, the whole area that they're hanging out in the backyard is going to be transformed this summer. Super excited about that, trying to have that in place by the grand opening on September 12th. And then also, we think we do have a date for the painting of the outside of this building. We think it's the second week in June. Um, as, as uh, you know, the, the crazy world we live in, it, it's tough to get, you know, supplies and labor and all that is backed up. And so I'm optimistic. I'm saying it's going to happen on June 9th. Bree thinks it's going to be after that. So we actually have a bet for breakfast burritos on when the paint's going to start. So stay tuned to see uh, and celebrate with me when I win. Um, <laughs> So we're thinking June 9th, uh, the outside is going to be painted as well. We're working on some renovation on the inside in here. And so, like, you'll see, like, there's different, like, you know, patches of things that are uh, out of sorts, like the sound booth in the back, paint on the wall. So we're hoping to have all of this completed by the time uh, we, we open for the grand opening in September. So I just want to say thank you so much for your patience, your flexibility in uh, this season as we, as we get ready for what God has next. Uh, next Sunday, I will have an update on some of the fundraising for the, the projects that we're doing, how far we need to get, 
And then also, um, we've talked about tithing off these campus projects to some mission projects that we'll be able to announce uh, next Sunday as well. So stay tuned. Also next weekend, uh, we have a 6K uh, for World Vision. Um, if you were here last week, you heard uh, Christine Altavilla share about uh, this project uh, where we can uh, uh, raise some resources for clean water in um, some places that don't have it. And so on Saturday at 7 a.m. Uh, next week, uh, we have a team that's going to be uh, doing a race. It's not a race. It's not a competition. But kind of is. Is that me? Okay, maybe it is a competition. <laughs> uh, so uh, it'll be 7 a.m. here Saturday morning. Uh, if you want to join the team, uh, today's the last day to sign up. Uh, I think there's a link in our weekly email, and uh, you get like a shirt, and, and this, the, the resources for this go to, to the clean water projects. Um, so we're, we're excited. Even if you don't like to run, uh, if you just want to come hang out Sunday morning, it's going to be one of the last somewhat cool mornings, and it'll be a good time to just connect with people in the church. Um, and then on Sunday is our baptism celebration. So we're going to have baptism at 10 a.m. in between both services right out here on the lawn. I'm super excited. Uh, for us, baptism is an outward expression of this inward transformation that someone has decided to follow Jesus. So I think right now we've got like five people that are signed up to, to go public saying they're following Jesus. If you are interested, if you've never been baptized before, uh, let us know. We, we'd love to, uh, to celebrate that with you. You can email info at Desert City Church. Uh, dot com. And then uh, last thing, and then we'll get to uh, the sermon. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, every month we, we do a food pantry with La Sagrada, and uh, we pass out grocery bags the third Sunday of the month, and then we just ask that you would return those the fourth Sunday and just put them behind your car with uh, some groceries, and we take that over to La Sagrada. So those bags are in the back. There's offering boxes in the back as well. Um, all right, Mark chapter 7. So summertime... A lot of people have left town already. Uh, Tyler Ells and Sarah have left town. They've gone on vacation. Uh, it's, it's that time of year when we're all ready to leave town. We can feel the heat coming, right? It's like this weight that just comes. And it means everyone's antsy and everyone's like short-tempered and everyone's just anxious. And, uh, and there's outbursts. And like this, this happens every year in Phoenix. We're all just like ready to leave town. And we've been cooped up for like the last year, right? And so um, I think this summer everyone's, like, getting out of town. I know my family, we're going to be in San Diego for a week. Uh, we go to, like to go to San Diego, just get some cooler weather, looking forward to that. I'm taking the, the staff up on a staff retreat in the next month. And uh, staff and staff spouses, we're going to go up to the mountains. We're going to pray. We're going to plan. We're going to uh, just get out of the, the rhythm and grind of being down here in the valley and, and think ahead of this next year. And as I've been thinking about just uh, with the, the church staff, you know, what, what are the, some things that we want to talk about? You know, what, what, the, the, all of this exists for Jesus, this church, this community. And the work that we do here is discipleship. Discipleship is this process of following Jesus to become more like him and to be who he's uh, created us to be. He's molding our hearts uh, to be a certain kind of people, the people of Jesus, resurrection people. And as I've been kind of thinking about that for our, our church, I, I was even thinking about the staff retreat, and I remember one of the first staff retreats like I went on, we were talking about discipleship, and there was this quote that I read um, that has just stuck with me as a pastor for the, like, the last 16 years or so. And it was written by a man named Dallas Willard, uh, who's one of my favorite authors in this book called The Great Omission. 
And he has uh, these words that they've just haunted me, and I think that there's something that I continue to think about when it comes to this process of discipleship. I want to start with this quote. It says, the greatest issue facing the world today, and this is back in 2006, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, and practitioners of Jesus Christ. Steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That's quite a statement. Dallas Willard goes on to talk about as followers of Jesus were permeated in love, the love of Christ. And this goes into every corner of human existence. All of us have these vocations. We're in the marketplace. We're in medical. We're in education. We're even in politics. The way of Jesus should be something that, that flows out of us into every corner of society. And as people who have been called and set apart with this unique calling to show the love of Jesus in a world that is broken and dysfunctional and on edge, is there, there, there's something about us as, as peacemakers, about the fruit of the Spirit being evident in our life for the world around us, that the world, it desperately needs it. We're reminded this year of just how broken our world is. But the call of Jesus, that this call that he has placed on our life to be permeated in his love, to, be, uh, to, be, to have that love flow out of us to other people, the world is starving for it. As we've brought these churches together and knew this is going to be a season of transition and learning new things and new systems and ironing things out, we just decided, you know, as followers of Jesus being discipled, we're, we're going to spend, um, we're just going to go through the whole gospel of Mark. And we're just going to spend time in the story of Jesus and allow that to just form us, to be allow this to, to, to just abide in this, this life of Christ that we've seen. And so we actually started this Gospel of Mark 16 weeks ago, and we're like halfway through it. So, um, and, I, and I want to continue to follow these stories because the story that we see today reveals something about Jesus, his identity, and this kingdom that is both a future destination and a present reality. And the story that we see today is, again, the story that Jesus has this incredible ability to meet people exactly where they're at and then draw them into something that is, that is so much bigger than they ever imagined. And it, it, it just, he meets them where they're at, and then he draws them into this, this great story of his kingdom, of what he's doing in this world. So two stories today in Mark chapter 7. We're going to read through verses 24 through 37 if you want to follow along on the screen. And uh, so let's start in verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place, and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. So Tyre is north of the country that Jesus is living in, and it's a port city on the Mediterranean Sea. It's in modern-day Lebanon, and uh, it's considered one of the oldest in ongoing inhabited uh, cities in the world. Um, more to come on that. So Jesus goes up there, he enters the house, he doesn't want anybody to know it, yet he could not keep his presence 
secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive out of her the demon out of her daughter. We've seen this again and again. These people come to Jesus with this great need. Listen to this response of Jesus, though. She comes to him begging, and he says in verse 27, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So, like, you're reading this, you're like, wait, 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 what's going on here? And that's kind of a harsh statement from Jesus. Like, is he calling her a dog? Is he saying he can't help her? Like, that's not very Christ-like. Like, what in the world? And, they, and then she responds. And then he hears her response in verse 29. He, then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So there's this bizarre interaction here. I've always struggled with this story because Jesus sounds so harsh. I mean, what's going on with these words? Like, what is he saying? What is he is he implying something here? Like, it, it, we'll get back to that. But he hears her response, he likes her response, and he ends up uh, healing her daughter from afar. Next story, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. So Sidon is this town that's like 20 miles north of Tyre, and then he goes all the way back down to the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of like saying, we're in Phoenix, hey, we're going to go to Tucson, so we're going to drive up to Flagstaff first and then go all the way around the city and go down to Tucson. Like, he goes north before he goes south, and um, it, he travels through this whole area that's a Gentile area and ends up down in this region of the Decapolis. Verse 32, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. And Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. And people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Another interesting story, two stories side by side. It's always a, a good practice when you read scripture um, to not just read it once. Um, there's a, an old uh, practice called lect- Lectio Divina, um, where we, we read scripture slowly, and we go through it a number of times, and every time we go through it, we pray, and we allow God to, to speak or have something 
you know, pop out of it. And usually when I, I'm giving a sermon, I'll, I'll do that. Like, I'll go through the sermon, and, and there's always these little phrases that catch my attention or phrases that pop out. And when I was reading through this story, I mean, there's just so many weird, bizarre details going on here. But there's this little phrase that just caught my attention that, that I thought was so interesting. It says, when it said, the, Jesus went to this place and was trying to, to stay private and be hidden, but the presence of Jesus can't be kept a secret. Even as he goes up into Tyre, this city that's north of his country, his presence can't be kept secret. And the story that ensues is these people that find healing with Jesus. This is a story about a desperate woman, a suffering man, and a loving savior. This is a story uh, that Jesus doesn't seem to have uh, an agenda. He's just traveling, and then because his presence and of who he is, something amazing happens. This story, when you look at how Mark is placing it side by side, and remember that Mark is this master storyteller, um, we're, we're reminded that, that, that Jesus, over the previous weeks as we've talked about, um, he, you know, he's got the Pharisees that are, that are after him, they don't like him. They feel threatened by him. They're confused by him. They're trying to accuse him. Then you have this group of people that are trying to make Jesus king. They want to start this revolution. They're ready to take out the Romans, and they think he's the king that's going to do it. In this story previous to this one, there's this uh, interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees about what, what is clean with, with, with food. Does food make you clean or unclean? And then it's almost like Jesus just needs to get away from it all. He, he heads up north, he gets out of his country, and he ends up on this, uh, this, this port town north of his country. And it, it's like he, he just needs to get away from everyone. And then all of a sudden, wherever Jesus goes, more things keep happening. In these two stories, uh, Mark is, 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 is this expert storyteller. There's these things that you can compare and contrast and Mark is trying to tell us again about Jesus' identity and what his kingdom looks like. So in this first story, you have this woman. She's Greek. She's Syrian Phoenician. And uh, she's pleading desperately for someone else. She's pleading for her daughter who has this spiritual need. It says that she's possessed by the spirit. That would have like separated her from community. Uh, she would have... Uh, it would have been this confusing thing that they don't know how to cure. And she comes to Jesus pleading for someone else. And then this interaction happens. And what we find is that there's this reference to her response and her persistent faith. And Jesus heals her daughter. And that healing happens from afar. Jesus never goes and sees the daughter. He just says, your daughter is healed. And then the next story Side by side with this one is a story about a man. We don't know much about him. We don't know his ethnicity. And unlike the woman who's pleading for someone else, this guy has people pleading for him. Someone else pleads for him for help. The woman's daughter has this spiritual need. This man has this physical need. He's deaf. He can't hear anything. And because of that, he can't really speak. That would have been something that separates him from community, especially in this day where it's not like reading and writing, there's no technology. This man is isolated. Other people plead for help for him with his physical need. 
And Jesus responds, and there's no mention of his faith. And the way that Jesus responds is that he pulls this man aside, and there's this up-close and personal encounter where he puts his hands in his ears and gives him a wet willy. Like, I don't, it's such a, such a he, he puts his hands in his ears, and then he, he creates spit and puts it on his tongue. This is like pre-COVID Jesus, I guess. Like, I don't understand it. Um, there, there's obviously some, some context of what's going on here, but it's about as intimate as you can get. One story, the healing happens from afar. One story, the healing happens up close and personal. And I think what Mark is doing here, he's, he's not only revealing to his audience more and more about the identity of Jesus, but the way of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And there's a couple things that we need to understand about the characteristics of this kingdom of God that Mark's saying this is what it looks like. Here's what Mark wants us to know about the kingdom of Jesus. The first is this. This story, because of where the story takes place, it points us that the territory of Jesus' kingdom is greater than we imagined. The territory of Jesus' kingdom is greater than we imagined. Remember, Jesus, uh, he, he's, he's coming out of this con- the Jewish context with, with the Old Testament, this covenant people, and what they've been called to be on this earth. Jesus goes north of his political boundaries into this Gentile area called Tyre. Tyre means the rock. It's this port city. I've had the opportunity to, to try, it's in modern day Lebanon. I've had opportunity to go there. I've seen Tyre and the ruins of these cities, Sidon and Byblos. They're like the oldest ongoing inhabited cities on earth. And they're in this Gentile-held area. This is a city that uh, would have been a wealthy urban center. Um, It's interesting that as Jesus goes there, it's like Mark's reminding us that this mission of Jesus now is going beyond the borders of Israel into the world, and this mission of Jesus is for Gentiles as well. Gentiles simply means non-Jewish people. This message of Jesus is for all people. What's interesting about Tyre is not only is it this port city, but in the ancient world, uh, it was famous for uh, being a city that was just the, the launching pad for trade and economy. Tyre was uh, a place where incredible sailing technology was developed. I mean, in the ancient world, you know, without technology, the sailors would, would try to navigate the seas. They would never leave sight of the shore And then the mariners who were stationed in Tyre end up figuring out how to navigate the sea with the stars. It's this new uh, type of navigation that allows trade to to flourish. They're able to to go beyond the Mediterranean. We're we're told that the people in Tyre go all the way up to like the British Isles. They, They find the mines that have like tin and all these other metals and bring them back down into the Mediterranean world as the, the world moves from Bronze Age to Iron Age. We know that they go down to Africa. They're able, they're able to expand uh, the, the, their, their, their trade because of this technology, and it, their, their trade goes out into all the world. And as Jesus moves beyond the borders of his town, he goes to this place, and he meets this Greek, Syrian, Phoenician woman, and she becomes the first Gentile to call him Lord. Mark is saying this story of Jesus 
this kingdom that he's a part of, the, the territory of this is, is so much bigger than what was originally expected. By the time Mark is writing, the, the early church would have been spread out throughout the Roman Empire. People would have been in churches in places like Tyre, and they would hear this story, and they'd be reminded that this message of Jesus is for all people. And that's important because of the, the revolution that Jesus started with his, his movement of, of Jesus' followers changes the world. And what's so compelling about it is that it's not just for one group of people or one, uh, one nationality or one ethnicity. This is for all people as we see it in this story. See, up until this point in history, most of the world's religions are grounded in context. It's grounded in your ethnicity. It's grounded in your nationality. You know, if you're a Roman, you've got the Roman gods that you worship with Mars and Venus and Jupiter and all the other planets. If you're... Uh, you know, Viking, you've got the Norse, you know, mythology, you, you worship Thor, you've got, you know, your ideas of what the afterlife is. And all of a sudden, this new thing that starts with the movement of Jesus transcends culture, and it transcends nationalities, and it transcends ethnicities. I mean, today we're sitting in Phoenix, Arizona, 2,000 years later, speaking in English about Jesus. This faith that we're a part of, it's not tied to the Middle Eastern culture where it began. This faith that we're a part of now isn't even tied to Western culture with the U.S. and Europe. In fact, if you look in South America right now, there's more Christians in South America than there are in Europe. If you look at Africa right now, the African continent, there's more Christians in Africa than there are human beings in America. We see that the church is expanding like crazy throughout Asia, in China, in Iran. This is a movement that transcends borders. And as Jesus breaks through the borders and goes into this Gentile town and he meets with this Greek woman, he sees her as human. So his response is love. We're a part of a global church. We're a part of a kingdom that transcends all the ways we divide each other. That doesn't mean there aren't distinctions in this world, but this kingdom of God, we're a part of this global kingdom. I had the opportunity to, to see this in different places as a missions pastor. Uh, my sister was a missionary in Japan, so I got to go and see what the church was like in Japan. I got to go to uh, China, see what the church was like in China. I got to go to Lebanon, South Africa, and you know what I found? There's groups of people that gather in churches on Sundays just like this. And they're just faithful to loving each other, to studying God's word, to praying, to caring for their community. They meet in small groups. They have Bible studies. They eat food. They have disputes. They fight. And yet there's this body of Christ that is present all over the globe. And this is this group of people of this kingdom that we are a part of, that says you're human, therefore you're worthy of God's love. Not only is this territory of Jesus' kingdom greater than we imagine, but the community of Jesus' kingdom is more diverse than what we're comfortable with. Because this message transcends all of the things that, that we find our identity in, this message of being 
a part of the kingdom of God, as a child of God, created in the image of God, means that it's available to all people. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. This little discussion that happens between Jesus and this woman, I think, uh, might highlight, you know, the tension that happens between different ethnicities, the tensions that happen between different nationalities. When you're reading it, you're like, why is Jesus, his response is, uh, is, is so bizarre. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and then toss it to the docks. Like he's taught, like there's the absurdity of this moment that this Greek woman would come to this Jewish man and ask for help. And Jesus has this response and we're like, wow, that's kind of a brutal statement. Like is that, was Jesus calling her a dog? What, what's going on here? There's a tension here and it's a real tension. There's a couple different thoughts on on how this conversation is taking place and what's going on. First is that uh, the tone of voice in Jesus matters. The tone of voice of having a conversation might make this sound like either a statement of contempt or a derogatory statement or a statement of of, of affection, a jest. There's a statement that uh, he makes that might be uh, bringing to the reality the absurdity of this moment. Because for for Jewish people, it was, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And a Gentile just meant that you were not a Jew. But guess what? The Greeks also had statements like that. You're either a Greek or you were a barbarian. And if you were a barbarian, you were crazy. And they had their own thoughts about the rest of the world. And, and there's a thought that, you know, Jesus, he, he, he might be drawing from this saying of the day or this, this proverb that kind of just puts it all out. And light, it could be he could be saying it with affection and jest. He could be creating this as an, an obstacle to see what this woman's really about. He says it in a way, my guess is that there's not quite a poisonous bite to it. My uh, father-in-law's from England. He still has a British accent. It's so, uh, you know, warped by his American accent that everyone thinks he's from Australia now. Um, <laughs> Uh, sometimes he'll be like helping me with a project around the house and I'm not super handy and, and he is and we'll be working on something and he'll look at it and he's like, well, it's good enough for a government job. And I'm like, and uh, you know, it, it, and like he'll make that statement and it both uh, exposes my inability to fix something and it's humorous and it speaks into like this, you know, um, political reality that he came out of in England and, um, and I know that he's saying it affectionately, like joking and and uh, yet there's this reality to it, and then we'll banter back and forth, and it feels harmless. It's possible that Jesus is making this statement like, you're a Greek, I'm a barbarian, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile. And they go back and forth, but what's interesting is when he brings up this, whatever this parable is, or whatever, or whatever this proverb is, or the saying, the woman realizes that maybe he's saying she's the dog. And in the Greek culture, the dogs were something that were loved and affectionate. And they go back and forth, and she says, but even the dogs get something. And all of a sudden, it exposes something in her heart as her and Jesus are speaking back and forth. And it's almost like Jesus is tickled by it. He laughs, because of, the, because of your reply to this, because of your persistent faith, because of the, the humility of this heart, that, that you're not just approaching me with, with an agenda that you think I'm this magician that's going to make it. She calls him Lord as they go back and forth 
here. And I think the tone of voice shows that there's actually something affectionate that Jesus sees her request and he responds by healing her daughter. Jesus sees her as human in the midst of the reality of the political tension, in the midst of the reality of the ethnic and nationality tension. Caesar is human and responds to her request by healing her daughter. This message of Jesus, this kingdom that we're a part of, is made up of all sorts of nationalities and ethnicities and people that look different than us and think different than us. And Jesus sees people as human, and his response is love. This is the kingdom that we're a part of. It's incredibly diverse. There are real realities, and then the the kingdom of Jesus transcends them. If you're a human being, you're made in the image of God, and you're worthy of love. Jesus talks about his heart for humanity. Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, if anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with that person and them with me. This message is for anyone. It's for all people. Galatians 3.28 reminds us there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of the ways that the world gives us distinctions and divides us, those are realities. But in Christ, as a human, you are a child of God. Colossians 3 says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Lakers fan, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, if, you have any, if anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. There's these words from Eugene Peterson in his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, that talks about this messiness of the kingdom of God and church and us uh, being a part of this, this new family that's been crafted from this diverse community. He says, a primary task of the community of Jesus is to maintain this lifelong cultivation of love in all the messiness of its families, neighborhoods, congregations, and missions. Love is intricate, demanding, glorious, deeply human, and God-honoring, but here's the thing, never a finished product, never an accomplishment, always flawed in some degree or other. To be a part of this kingdom is to be a part of this diverse community of people, even when it's uncomfortable. This is the the story that Jesus invites us to, the kingdom that we are a part of. For this woman, there's this humble and persistent faith, and he responds because he sees her as a human, and she's in need. The third thing that this reveals about the kingdom is that the work of Jesus' kingdom It always surprises us. It always surprises us. It surprises us here because Jesus heals this person by giving them a wet willy, right? It's like, what is Jesus doing? 
In one story, he heals from afar. In one story, he heals up close and personal. And it's almost like every time Jesus is doing a miracle, it's like he uses a different technique or different words. He's constantly doing things different. And maybe it's so that we don't think there's just like this magic formula. But it's mysterious. The work of Jesus is mysterious. And it's always outside of the box that we put it in. We think Jesus works like this, and he does something else. We think he should be here, and then he ends up entire in, in this Gentile community. We think that, oh, he's healing people from afar, and then he pulls this man aside and gets personal and touches the person's face. The work of Jesus is mysterious. And I would say that the work that Jesus is still doing in our lives is mysterious. We should be open to what God is doing because he's always surprising us. There's a mystery to being a part of this kingdom. There's a mystery to be a part of the church. I don't know how God always, I don't know how God works all the time, but we know that God is always working. God is always doing something. Verse 33, after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his finger into the man's ears. Then he spit and he touched the man's tongue and he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. All of a sudden, Jesus gets real personal with this man who's deaf and mute. Brings him to the, to the side of this, whatever crowd is there and is completely present with him. And it's interesting when you look at how Jesus interacts with this man who needs healing. He looks up to, to heaven, this upward look of prayer, and then he sighs. There's this heartfelt sigh of compassion, prayer and compassion. And then there's the touch, this loving touch upon the hurting man. And I think what's fascinating about how Jesus is doing this is that as he touches the man, he touches him in a place where uh, the, the man is broken. He connects with the man at the source of the man's weakness. He makes contact with the source of the brokenness, placing his hands in his ears and touching his tongue. And there's this way that, that God tends to do that still in the midst of all of the brokenness of this world, we see that Jesus connects with us at the source of that brokenness. He moves into our story. His presence is something that cannot be hidden. And it brings about healing. It brings about restoration. And then there's this word that Jesus shares, this bold pronouncement of the good news. Look, sigh, touch, word. The work of Jesus' kingdom always surprises us. But he brings about life. As Mark is telling us this story, you know, you have, you have this reminder that Jesus goes into this Gentile place and he's doing this work there beyond the borders of Israel to the Gentile world. And the type of stuff that he's doing is revealing his identity. Because for the Jewish people, they had this understanding that the Messiah was coming, that this kingdom was coming. 
And one of the prophets in Isaiah says this about the work of this Messiah. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, it says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This mysterious work of Jesus' kingdom brings life that is abundant and eternal. The blind see, the deaf hear, the mute are made to speak again. Water gushes forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The presence of Jesus that can't be hidden comes, and it's bringing life abundantly. This work of the kingdom that we see in the life of Jesus is something that us as a church do as well. Bring life abundantly to dead places. Bring about restoration to things that are broken and healing. I'm going to close today with a couple of thoughts about these words, these two stories that are side by side, that reveal to us the kingdom of Jesus, what the characteristics of the kingdom are, what we are a part of as followers of Jesus. When we think about these stories and what Jesus is up to, two things to consider. Uh, the first right now is just to, to allow Christ to connect with you at the source of your pain or weakness. We all have different things that we're carrying, different things that hinder us, different burdens, things that have caused suffering. It might be physical, it might be spiritual, it might be relational. But to allow Christ to connect with us today at the source of that weakness. And you know what that is. When you search your heart, the presence of Jesus cannot be hidden, and it will meet today with ever that thing is that's causing the pain, the suffering. Maybe it's a wound. Allow Christ to meet us at the source of the weakness. And the second thing, falling at the feet of Jesus on behalf of another person's pain or weakness. We see this with the Greek woman. She comes to Jesus. She falls at her feet on behalf of her daughter, Who's tormented by this evil spirit. There's people that God has placed on our heart that we have burdens for, that we know are suffering. And today we just want to create space to say, maybe you just need to follow Jesus' feet and say, Lord, move. And like this Greek woman, have this humble and persistent faith that you just keep coming to Jesus. Tim's going to come back up and close us with a song. And it's a song that is about the miraculous work that God does in our life. And today as we reflect on these words, we just want to create space to experience this presence of God, which cannot stay hidden, allowing it to meet us in this moment, whether it's for us or for someone that's on our heart. We're just going to spend some time in prayer and reflecting, and then we'll sing these words. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your love for us. For these stories where, where we, we see your heart for humanity. We see your heart for those who are suffering. 
we are reminded that we are a part of this family that isn't just based on blood, isn't based on different things that define our identity. It's based on your love for us and that we are your children. reminded today, Lord, that you are bringing about the healing and restoration in life. And today we come and say, Lord, would you breathe life into us? May we hear your words be opened. That you would meet us in this still moment. Lord, as a church, we are connected to, to so many people and all over different corners of society. We ask that you would use us, Lord, for those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are suffering, that we would be your body. Lord, the people that have and heavy on our heart we bring before you today as well. And in these moments, Lord, we just ask that you would do a miracle. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.